0: Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Nicolas Villain from uh, Paris. On behalf of CME Outfeeders. I would like to welcome you and thank you for joining us today for CMEO Briefcase Entailed What to Do. My patient in VED may have AREA. This program is supported by an educational grant from Lilly. So Nicolas, I'm uh, an Associate Professor of Neurology at Sorbonne University. I also work as an attending neurologist at the Institute of Memory and Alzheimer's Disease at the Pitié-Salpêtrière Hospital in Paris. And I am delighted to be joined today by my distinguished colleague, Dr. Jimmy Pruitt. Please introduce
1: yourself. Thank you, Dr. Blumian. I'm an emer- Jimmy Pruitt. I'm an emergency medicine clinical pharmacy specialist at Atrium Health Carolina Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Are is gonna be very important for us because this is something that is necessarily new And I think it's going to be unique for us and important for us to be able to get this understanding and education prior to seeing these patients in our emergency department during a more controlled environment. Because as we all know, in emergency department, we don't have a controlled environment. We don't have the time to be able to differentiate all of these things, especially things that are new, such as ARIA. So I think it's going to be a phenomenal presentation, and I'm really excited to talk about this more.
0: Thank you, Dr. Perit. And Our learning objective for today is to develop a best practice protocol to triage patients who present to an emergency care setting for the likelihood of aria in association with ATT, anti-almitoid therapy treatment. So we will first get started with a couple of audience response questions to test your initial knowledge. We will address the correct answer later. And a second, question that we'll answer later on. So now let's meet our patient
1: MJ. All right Tim, let's meet our patient. This is patient MJ, a 68 year old female brought to the emergency department by ambulance following sudden speech impairment. Time of arrival is about 1500 or 3 p.m. The patient's chief complaint was sudden, severe difficulty in speech a mild confusion, disorientation, an unsteady gait observed by the family members. In the on arrival was a blood pressure of 160 over 90 with a heart rate of 88 beats per minute. The respiratory rate was 18 breaths per minute, and the oxygen saturation was 94% on room air. The temperature was 36.8 degrees Celsius or 98.2 Fahrenheit. So starting with the patient case, the initial observations was uh, appearance was mildly distressed, Responsive but having trouble articulating words. From a neurological standpoint, it was a slight facial droop on the right side, no evidence of motor deficit, and from a cardiovascular component, he had a regular heart rhythm, no murmurs or gallops. The past medical history was significant for myasthenia gravis, of sleep, a sleep apnea, hypertension, dyslipidemia. And the surgical history is positive for thymectomy, tubal ligation, and a appendectomy. The family history was significant for Alzheimer's disease in the mother with an onset of 70 years old, and mixed dementia in the the father with an onset of 75 years old. So based on the patient's initial presentation, which condition is most likely? So the correct answer is going to be B, acute ischemic stroke. This patient's symptoms of sudden speech impairment, mild confusion, unsteady gait, in a slight facial group are classic signs that point towards neurological events such as acute ischemic stroke, making it the most likely diagnosis based on the initial presentation. Dr. You know, what other diagnosis or considerations should we keep in mind at this point, given the patient's presentation or history?
0: Well, in front of a sudden neurological deficit, you always have to keep in mind a few differentials, including a partial seizure or migraine with aura. These two differential are all the most relevant here since the patient is under some drugs that may be responsible for seizure. We will see and discuss that later
1: on. So as we go into the uh, ED stroke alert activation, there's a few components we have to discuss. The credibility of the prompt response, this presentation of symptoms consistent with stroke this is a immediate action. Thomas Brain Principle underscores the urgency Every minute counts to mitigating the potential neurological damage. When activating the protocol, the stroke alert alert involves immediate notification of key departments, including neurology, radiology, the critical care team, to mobilize resources for rapid diagnostic imaging and potential intervention. In regards to preparation for urgent intervention, the team prepares for potential life saving measures, including CT imaging, IV thrombolytics, and aligning with standard protocols for acute stroke management.
0: Let's give the audience another chance to participate with another audience response question. Which clinical trial medication relevant to the patient's case is associated with an increased risk of developing aria? Here, the correct answer is C. Why? Because the is an investigation anti-amyloid beta antibody evaluated in the Trailblazer ALS2 trial for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. One of the known complications of amyloid-targeting therapy like dunanimab or lecanimab, so lecanimab and aducanimab would have also been a correct answer here, um, is amyloid-related imaging abnormalities ARIA, which includes ARIA-E for e, edema or effusion, and ARIA-H, H for hemosiderin deposit. This makes it a critical consideration in the emergency setting for patients presenting with neurological symptoms, as it could indicate area rather than a typical ischemic stroke. And in the case of area, uh, sudden neurological deficit could be the sign of a partial seizure or sign of a deficit due to edema. For the same uh, regarding area uh, H, transient. Neurological deficit could also be the sign of a TIA, transient ischemic accidents. And, uh, or if it's not transient, it could be a sign for a macro MRH. So you should have this differential in mind when you're facing patients who are under anti-amyloid therapies and who could could have area related to their drugs. So now let's move on understanding amyloid beta-targeting therapies. A few other views. Lecanemab, aducanemab are example of novel FDA-approved beta-amyloid targeting therapy for the treatment of AD. Donanemab is under investigation. Approval is expected in early 2024. What is the mechanism of action of these anti-amyloid beta-targeting therapies? Well, this Therapies bind to with varying affinities to various stages of amyloid beta on the amyloid beta plaque formation timeline. What were the main results of the clinical trial and demonstration of efficacy? The results from these trials of individuals with early stage Alzheimer's disease have shown promise in reducing amyloid plaques in the brain and potentially slowing cognitive decline. And we've seen a few adverse effects with these drugs infusion-related reactions, increased risk of MRH when we are treating this patient with concomitant thrombolytics, gastrointestinal symptoms, and what we are discussing today, ARIA. Now, if we move on to understanding this ARIA, ARIA in AD therapy is a notable side effect of treatment such as lecanemab or donanemab or aducanemab, and can be detected via brain imaging. It can be 100% asymptomatic. In three, for, in, um, three quarters of patients treated with uh, uh, anti-amyloid therapy, uh, ARIA is asymptomatic, but in 25%, it is symptomatic. We have two types of ARIA that can be together, uh, simultaneous uh, in the same patient. We can have ARIA-E for edema and ARIA-H for hemorrhage or hemosiderin. Why does it matter to into a, an emergency department? It matters because it can mimic ischemic stroke. We can have sudden neurological deficits. And therefore, sudden neurological deficit can be due to an area, which is a side effect of this treatment. So you must have this differential in mind when you have a patient with Alzheimer's disease who may be under this treatment. The medication that can cause area, as we said, are lecanemab, aducanemab, Donanimab and Gantanerimab. At the moment, as we said, only Lecanimab and Aducanimab have an FDA approval in the US. What are the best MRI protocols for ARIA detection? ARIA can be detected by CT, but we will see that it has a lower sensitivity. So the gold standard is MRI. What do we see? For ARIA-E, E with edema, we see of course an edema. So how does it look like? It's a vasogenic edema, which means which means it's a, an hyper T2 flare and uh, an ipo signal on the raw diffusion imaging that appears as an increase in the apparent diffusion coefficient images. So it's a NIPER signal on the apparent diffusion coefficient images and a NIPER signal on the raw diffusion weighted images. Regarding ARIA-H, H H for MRH, you will see them on the classical sequences to see MRH, which are gradient echo or susceptibility weighted imaging sequencing in MRI, and you will see microbleeds, macrobleeds or hemosiderin deposits <clears throat> under the form of a subarachnoidal MRH, cortical subarachnoidal MRH. So MRI is the best tool to provide a comprehensive assessment of area and it's the gold standard imaging. So now a few consideration, when you only have a head CT and no MRI on, on your site, what should you do? First of all, you should look for um, an MRI if possible. Let's say we don't have this possibility. Put your patient in the CT and uh, keep in mind, of course, the limitation of this examination for area detection. For area E, you will be able to see an edema, but only if it's a big edema. So you may miss an area E on a CT. Regarding area H, CT are usually very good at identifying uh, hemorrhages when it's fresh blood, but when we are dealing with micro hemorrhages, CT can miss that. So you can have a negative CT, brain CT, with with an ongoing area. So please be cautious when interpreting your CT results, normal CT can mean area. So of course, as soon as possible, plan for follow-up MRI for definitive assessment when possible. And of course, integrate this information into your clinical decision-making, consider overall clinical context, symptoms, and treatment history, and remain flexible in decision-making, prioritizing patient safety and accuracy. So a few considerations in the acute care setting. First of all, as we saw with Dr. Pruitt, you need to review medication history thoroughly. You you need to do a thorough evaluation of current medication and try as much as possible to know if the patient is under anti-amyloid therapies or not. He may not be directly able to tell you this answer since he's experiencing neurological symptoms and he has Alzheimer's disease. Also, assess the recent neurological notes, examine notes for any recent change in neurological condition. If in the last weeks he was experiencing unusual headaches or blurry vision, this could have been the prodromal signs of an area. Perform an imaging review and decision making prioritize reviewing any recent imaging particularly mri for insight into the patient's current neurological status ARIA can come suddenly but can also uh, set up in a few weeks so any prior mri will help you see if there was an edema before or not when it's an obvious edema you will not need it but when sometimes it's subtle you will definitely need a previous MRI to be sure it was not there before. And in the absence of a recent imaging, or CT available? Please prioritize arranging for an MRI as soon as possible. And since we are discussing sudden neurological symptoms, of course, what we have in mind is an ischemic stroke. So we will have in mind a thrombolytic drug we will have to make decision regarding a thrombolytic or not. Since thrombolytic is contraindicated with anti-amyloid therapy due to the highest risk of MRH, please be sure that your patient is not experiencing ARIA since he will have a fatal MRH. If he has an ongoing ARIA-H MRH and you will give him a fibrinolytics. So be very careful when you consider the risk and the benefits of fibrinolytics or anticoagulants when your patient may be experiencing ARIA. And decision to withhold this medication should be based on a thorough clinical assessment. So now let's try to sum it up and see a potential triage protocol for ARIA. The first step would be an initial patient assessment to assess chief complaints and vital signs. You also have to perform an initial neurological examination. Second step, medication history review is crucial, especially if your patient has Alzheimer's disease. Note, any anticoagulant or antiplatelet agent review current medication focusing on amyloid targeting therapies. Step three, detail clinical history. Inquire about the past medical history, especially the neurological condition. Like I said, if in the last few weeks there were unusual headaches, blurry vision, etc. Step four perform a comprehensive physical and neurological exam, conduct a thorough physical and neurological examination, identify signs that may indicate area or stroke. Like I said, area or stroke can be exactly the same, sudden neurological deficit. And you may have some a prodromal sign with ARIA, but you may not always have them. As I said, headaches, fl- blurry vision, uh, fatigue, and so on. Step five, decision point, imaging and treatment. Consult a specialist, a neurologist. If findings suggest ARIA prioritize MRIs, as we said, a CT can miss an ARIA and consider withholding fibrinolytics until ARIA is rolled out. As I said, if ARIA is going on, fibrinolytics are contraindicated. Step six: say your MRI is available. You have an MRI inside and it's available. Perform MRI to confirm or rule out ARIA or confirm or rule out ischemic stroke, and then you can proceed based on the ARIA fi- on the MRI finding. If you have an ARIA, please treat it accordingly. High dose cortico uh, glucocorticoids or if you have an ischemic stroke and no area, you can then use fibrinolytics as usual. Step 6b, MRI is unfortunately unavailable. Please use CT as an initial imaging, but note its limitation. Plan for MRI as soon as possible, and please avoid fibrinolytics if you have a remaining concern regarding a possible area going on, even if your CT is normal. So most of the time, we hold fibrinolytics, but you can go for other procedure, for example, intravascular treatment. Step seven, consider holding and discontinuing treatment, hold fibrinolytics, and consider supportive care.
1: As Villian mentioned, this is going to be a protocol that I believe that can be essential for us. We have protocols and things put in place for a patient with ischemic stroke and ischemic uh, hemorrhagic stroke, but we haven't really got to the point where we understand the step-by-step process and many emergency departments, including the ones that I've worked in and consulted in, has not gotten to where we have a set protocol. So I think it's very key to, to highlight certain aspects that kind of divergent from what we usually do. Again, that medication history is gonna be very important and vital and that's where we can have different people working with us, whether that's gonna be your pharmacist, whether we have pharmacy technicians that are doing medication histories, that's gonna be very key for us to do in a very rapid uh, timeframe. And the next component of, of this is mentioning that not all places have MRIs. So I think this protocol, this triaging protocol is going to be great for us while highlighting the component that may be a limitation. Again, we want MRI. We want to get it as soon as possible. But realistically, um, in very busy ER and maybe maybe resource-limited ERs throughout all the places that may be receiving this education, it may not be available, and we want to make sure we highlight that if a CT is their initial imaging modality, that's going to be with limited uh, utility. So again, getting the kind of caveat that is making sure our neurology colleagues that can get more advanced imaging and can prioritize getting patients to MRI is going to be available. So this initial protocol here is going to be. I think something that people can implement in the emergency departments and something that we should be starting to think on now, because, again, we're probably seeing these patients, but we're probably not identifying them. And this is a good way for us to start to put things objectively on paper to identify these patients. So
0: I will turn it back over to Dr. Pruitt to discuss our consideration in the acute care setting.
1: So let's revisit our, our case back with, with MJ. Upon reviewing the patient's medication history, immediately identifies ongoing therapy and alerts the emergency medicine physician. The neurologist then conducts in a detailed review of the patient's previous imaging studies and is highly suspicious ARIA-E. The patient underwent an initial MRI, which is shown to the right. Dr. Villain, what other considerations or coordination of care needs would you? want the emergency provider to provide in this patient's case
0: well be sure to obtain the maximum for infog- information regarding the patient medical and medication history and review it thoroughly indeed your patient as may have alzheimer's disease and maybe may have speech troubles due to uh, an ongoing area and he may not, or she may not be able to tell you his ongoing medication. So please be sure to have a, an informant that can give you this maximum information before making your decision. Let's now circle back to address our question we asked at the beginning of a program. Go ahead and answer this again, and we will discuss the correct answer. So as we've seen, the correct answer is prioritize performing MRI to confirm a rollout area. Why? Because CT can miss area E and area H. Area E, if it's too subtle, too small, you your brain CT will not see any area E. And area H, it can see a macro-MRH, but it cannot see micro-MRH that is going on. So you can have a normal CT and an ongoing area. So if you need to make a decision regarding a fibrinolytics, and you need to be sure that your patient has no area before you prescribe it, be sure to prioritize MRI before prescribing this kind of drug. Another question we asked at the beginning of this presentation, now we will circle it back and uh, answer it together. And, the correct answer here is, has this patient ever had an infusion of any ATT for AD? Of course, we've now seen that Aria can, pre- can mimic a stroke. So it's one of the if a patient Alzheimer's disease. So please be sure that when your patient has a history of Alzheimer's disease, check his medication. And if you see any anti-amyloid therapy, please keep in mind that one of the differential you're facing could be ARIA.
1: All right, so to summarize this presentation, we have a few things to consider. We have our ARIA Essentials. So it's gonna be key in Alzheimer's disease therapy. Uh, we have two components. We're gonna have an ARIA-E, which is gonna be for edema, and ARIA-H, which can be for hemorrhage or bleeding. The diagnostic uh, priority is gonna be very key. And we wanna make sure we differentiate ARIA from stroke. And Most importantly, the thing to do that is gonna be having an MRI is going to be preferred over CT for detection. Friage is gonna be essential. We wanna make sure we review medications, especially amyloid drugs, uh, get a neurology evaluation and prioritize MRI, because it's gonna be very essential. Through a medication component, we wanna be very weary of fibrinolytic or anticoagulants and withhold any amyloid drugs if needed. Lastly, this is gonna be a team approach and cross-specialty collaboration is gonna be essential. Thank you, Dr. Williams, for mentioning that. I want to focus in on the emergency medicine aspect of this because that's where I spend most of my time. In working with our emergency medicine providers, one of the key things that I believe that we have to uh, get in this, this process is the initial assessment of these patients and keeping a differential diagnosis in, 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 involved. And usually my emergency medicine provider in that initial stroke alert activation, that's what's going to draw the pharmacist in. And I think once that emergency medicine provider activates this, this stroke alert, initially we can get all the other people involved, whether that's going to be the the neurologist, the general practitioner, the radiologist, and for me, the pharmacist. So when I get a stroke alert activation come to my pager, this allows me to rapidly get my resources in place, whether that's going to be me uh, checking the medication history, checking clinical trials, checking the note very rapidly to assess these patients, and I believe that's going to be a key area where, whether that's a pharmacist or a pharmacist extender, like a technician or a, a student that only does medication histories, that can key them in and focusing on figuring out not just anticoagulants anticoagulant that we usually see, but all these other amyloid therapies that we can we mention. And this is going to be a key change, I think, to emergency medicine. And this is going to be something that this education that we're providing will allow your emergency practitioner, and your pharmacist to really key in on starting this process of assessing whether or not these patients are at risk of ARIA. So when speaking about this, this team-based approach for the management of ARIA and the emergency department, there's going to be a variety of different people. Where we well, are going to have your neurologist. You can have your general practitioner. You can have the emergency medicine provider, radiologist, pharmacist, all in collaboration with the patient, not a Vivian. Any components,
0: anything to list on it is section? Yes, that's all the most important to have a good collaboration to all the specialists, the neurologist who know these drugs and Alzheimer's, the general practitioner who can give you a list of his medication, the pharmacist who will point to you which medication are relevant to the current condition, the radiologist to prioritize which CT on MRI, and of course you, the emergency medicine provider who will see this patient and have to make this decision. So please be sure you have a maximum information from the patient and all the professional and the caregivers that are uh, who know this condition, and please make the best decision possible. So this was an excellent program today and thank you, Dr. Pruitt for your excellent discussion. Let's summarize our discussion with our SMART goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. That is what I hope that you will take from this presentation to apply to your practice. Initiate appropriate care for patients with suspected area focusing on the use of MRI over CT and cautious use of fibrinolytics. Second, identify novel amyloid targeting therapy when considering a patient's medication history. This may be part of a clinical trial or the patient may not think of this as a medication they take regularly as they are infused periodically. So that's all for today. Today's CMEO briefcase is part of a three-part series of case-based activities that can be found on the Alzheimer's disease hub. I hope you'll check out the other two activities in the series. The Alzheimer's Disease Hub has these activities and many others on AD and more. The CME Outfeeders Alzheimer's Disease Hub also has a number of excellent resources to share with your patients. Thank you again, Dr. Pruitt, and thank you to our audience for joining us.